This is Fundraising Radio, and today's guest speaker will have Vivek Kumar, Director at Dolby Laboratories, Angel Investor and Advisor. And this episode will mostly focus on development side, who should try to outsource their development abroad from the U.S., uh, when should you actually start hiring full-time developers, when should you stick to the contractors, and of course, we'll touch on to Angel Investors, as Vivek has plenty of experience in that field. So, Vivek, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Dolby Laboratories. Yeah, so as you mentioned, my name is Vivek, and I do wear a couple of hats. I mean, I do have a conventional job, which, as you mentioned, is being a director in Dolby. So what I do here is I lead an AI team which focuses on researching and developing audio and speech technologies. Uh, in the past few years, we create technologies like speech compression, voice conversion, and things of that. And and how does it matter uh, to what we are doing? So to me, it is uh, essential to understand what Dolby builds. At Dolby, we create technologies which enhance the entertainment experience. And we have been doing it for over 50 years, going back to 1965 when Ray Dolby created Noise Reduction Solution. I mean, as a kid, I grew up with that button on my dad's cassette player, which you pressed and magically audio sounded better. <laughs> and now we create technologies both in audio and video space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the technologies we create touch the whole ecosystem. They go from content creation side, where we work with artists, content creators, so that what they are building is captured in a way which their creative intent is preserved. We work with broadcasters, be it over the air, your Comcast, cable providers, or streaming services like Netflix to deliver that experience to you. And we work with consumer manufacturers uh, be it uh, your sound bars, your AVRs, or even if you're watching something on iPhone, end-to-end, people use our technologies to provide that superior uh, entertainment experience. So one line summary of what we do is we basically create technologies which enhance and give you that spectacular experience. So my contribution there is looking into technologies which focus on audio and using AI to create state-of-the-art technologies. Mm-hmm. Does that give you a good summary? Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. That's true. Uh, so let's go straight to the to the outsourcing part. So I've heard tons and tons of stories of uh, startup founders trying to outsource their development to India, Ukraine, Russia, all those countries, and then they had horrible experience. They regretted multiple times, and then stayed back to the U.S. Uh, to the U.S. developers were extremely expensive. So, what do you think about uh, outsourcing? I think it depends on what company you're building and what your core competency is, and also how refined or how well what you're building is defined. Mm-hmm. If your core competency is not tech and what you're building is well-defined, outsourcing seems to work pretty well. Uh, some of the challenges I see when people outsource are more around 
not having the uh, requirements well specified or technology being such a core competent competency of what you're mm-hmm. building that you need to have it in-house and then transferring it from a consultant to in-house seems a bit of a challenge. Right. Uh, I think you also hinted at some of the quality challenges which occur when you outsource it to other countries. And what I have seen most of the time when it happens is because either what you're building is not well-specified or you don't have any technical expertise in-house to understand what is being built serves your needs. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So here I want to talk about part of uh, this question of outsourcing and it's when should someone hire a full-time employee? So it doesn't matter whether they're doing it out, out of the U.S. or in the U.S., but this is always a question for a startup founder if they should start building a full-time development team. What do you think is the right stage for that? Again, I think it depends on when or what are you building. If it's a high-tech company, which I tend to invest in, I would recommend having a engineer or a developer in the founding team itself. Mm-hmm. The reason being technology becomes such a core component uh, for your building is uh having somebody who is not fully committed to building it creates a challenge down the road where the motivations and the alignment of incentives are not just there for the developer to be with you. Every time, I mean, a startup is a 10-year commitment. Oh, yeah. And every startup starts ambitiously, but few years down the line, there would be challenges. Most try to face them, whether it be economic challenges, internal challenges, or things you're building are not getting built. So you need that relationship, that alignment of incentives, so that the technology people are there with you for eternity. The other question comes is, if you're building a technology which is an enabler, but is not a core competency of what you're building, then you can, I would say, in that case, hire a developer when you un- you have achieved a product market fit. If you start hiring developers before you have achieved a product market fit, developers tend to be more focused on a certain aspect of technology or a certain type of technology. During the early stages, you might iterate a lot And if you end up hiring somebody, say, who is a mobile developer, and then you realize mobile development is not where you want to be in the initial offering, it ends up in having very awkward conversation or not utilizing the potential of the few employees you have. Right. So you mentioned that you like to invest in hard tech. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, what what have you what give me like two examples of what you have invested in so let, let's take a step back and discuss what is different about hot tech companies sure i mean if you think about uh, hot tech companies is they are building something uh be it an algorithm be it something you license be it 
uh, biotech or be it building uh, or, or even drug discovery, the background there is it takes a lot of time to build, time and money to build it. So the solution, and the solution is not obvious. You may end up not being able to build it. The other way of thinking about it, uh, hard tech companies are, where are the risks in there? Typically, in most startups, the risks are, if I build it, do people want it? In hard tech, say, for example, if you're discovering a drug, it's very easy to figure out if you are able to solve the problem, you will be able to find customers for it. The technical risk there is whether it should be built or not. And that falls for very interesting challenges because it piques the curiosity of a lot of people. So if you have the right set of technology founders in your company or right set of people who are there, they will be able to uh, they will be able to get you uh, uh, get investors interested. They will be able to get employees interested. So hiring becomes easy, but the solving the technical challenges part becomes extremely extremely hard. Uh, in terms of investment, I have made one is a company called Voice Voice3, where the goal is to develop synthetic human like voices. Currently, they're using deep learning to do that. And synthesizing speech is something we have been trying to do for decades. Right. Currently, with deep learning, it seems like a near potential. But from a purely technology point of view, having a speech which can totally emulate us, get our emotions correct, and our meanings correct and our intonation correct is still a very, very hard problem to solve. So the founders there were, uh, one of the founders there is a researcher who had worked in the past and he totally made me believe that if this problem can be solved, he is one of the persons who will be able to solve the problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the second company I am working with is Erisys, uh, another founder who I've worked with for a very long time. I am not going to go into details of what he's building because it's currently in a little bit of a stealth mode. Mm-hmm. But again, a person who has studied for a while, focusing on one particular problem, and again, if the problem is solved, we will be able to achieve amazing results. Uh, third company, I can kind of give you a little bit brief overview also on, which is kind of falls in the category of almost hard tech is Tangent. Uh, and what they're doing is building a beauty product using AI. Uh, they actually take GANs, which is a kind of a generative networks, which are able to generate human-like faces and instead of models being real models they generate using ai models which are suited to uh, uh 
which can serve various needs. For example, if you are marketing beauty products in India or China or in Europe, you would want to have a model which represents the ethnicity present in those areas so that people buying beauty products can see people wearing beauty products who are who look similar to them. Right. That was a tongue twister. That makes sense. Uh, and th- those investments sound, sound tough and quite risky. Uh, I'm not a big big fan of uh, deep tag because it's you know it's too complicated for me. Uh, but why do you choose uh, deep tag and what do you think is the major difference between deep tag and uh, you know customer tag? Customer tag, sorry. Why I chose deep tech because my background is research. That is something I have been doing for a considerable amount of time. Uh, uh, what was your next question? The next question is: What's the what's the main difference between the deep tech investing and consumer facing investing? I think the biggest question is. Uh, a risk factor. Most consumer-facing companies, they are able to build the technology. Or if you think about it in a different way, if you throw enough resources and money at a problem, you will be able to build anything you are able to build. So the risk from a consumer company becomes more of a market risk. Would people want it? Does it solve the itch people have? Will people continue to pay money for it? Mm-hmm. In hot tech, even if you throw unlimited amount of money and people at the problem, some of these challenges are challenges which cannot be solved. <laughs> and and I think uh, that is the basic, uh, difference. I continue to, I am, and that's what excites me. Uh, building a technology or helping build a technology, which has a potential of changing the world is huge. We, I mean, one of the things I believe startups are doing is fundamentally changing the world. And consumer facing companies tend to change the world from a point of view about how business is done and how tech companies change the world and how technology is built. And technology is a multiplier. So once you create a new technology which could not be formed, it has a multiplying fact. And even though it's extremely risky, the gains could, it really amplifies the gains which could be had there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that does make sense. So, as an investor in hard tech, what exactly are you looking to see on the page deck? So I have a lot of friends in consumer-facing investing, and I know what they're looking for, but what do people who invest in deep tech want to see on the page deck? Uh, I think it's it's how, what is the risk? How are you managing the risk? And why are you in the best position to manage the risks. Mm-hmm. I mean, the advice you would typically see for consumer-facing companies is figure out what the pain point is, 
how you're going to solve the pain point and why you are the best person to solve the pain point. And which might include questions like why now and why, how do you, how are you better than in competition? And in hard tech, it's almost very similar. In hard tech, typically the pain point is well known. Like if you are discovering a drug, it is well known that if you solve for a drug which is needed, people would buy it. The challenge becomes what insight do you have which other people don't have? And why are you the one who has this insight who can solve the problem? So this would, I mean, more concretely, it would mean, hey, for a company like Voicery, I know what happened in the last five years in technology. Neural network came and they totally changed how signal processing was done. Most of the people tried using signal processing for synthesizing speech. Now I'm using this powerful deep learning networks to synthesize for speech. Right. And the second problem, why am I in the best position to solve it? Say, for example, I've been doing research on neural networks for five years. These are the papers I have published. These are the insights I've had. And incrementally, they have solved for technical risks. Going forward, I see these four or five technical risks, and these are the reasonable ways I think I can solve for these technical risks. And then you look at person's background, what he has done, how quickly he's been making improvements. And at the end of the day, you are taking what you learn from him, combine that with your gut reaction and making an investment. So, Right. Yeah, the process sounds really clear. Thanks for making such a clear outline for that. Um, and here we're probably moving on to one of the last questions of this episode. And it's, what do you think are the first three steps the founder in deep tech should take to get the first check from an investor? I'm thinking. <laughs> okay. Uh First step would be to make sure there are ways of solving the problem. And this is a problem you are uniquely capable of solving or you are able to build a team or you are capable of building a team who will be able to solve this problem. The next thing I would advise them to figure out if this is a problem worth solving, just because it's a hard problem need not be, it's a problem worth solving. I mean, I there are a lot of hard mathematical problems, very interesting, fundamentally very uh, exciting for a lot of researchers, but... I'm not going to invest in it because I don't know if it's a problem worth solving, whether it adds solving an anarchic problem would ever benefit humanity or whether we'll be able to monetize it. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, although not as important as the first two criteria, get a sense from 
that you'll be able to make a business out of it. Just because you can solve it, people might need it. Need not always be that you'll be able to monetize it. Mostly in hard tech, that is somewhat of a lower risk, but could be a risk if it's very fundamental and there is almost no way of monetizing it. It sometimes can become a challenge. Uh, personally, I haven't run into companies where I've not invested uh, because there has not been a business case. Got it. Got it. That's really interesting. And recently I've started to making this uh, call to action sort of thing where I'm trying to make a speaker recommend something for a listener to do as soon as the episode is over. So right now, uh, most of my listeners are actually early stage founders. So imagine what what should they do right now once this episode is over? What's one thing that they should do? I know maybe they should uh, reach out to someone on LinkedIn who they think they could be a good technical co-founder or on the opposite side, maybe a business co-founder. What, what's that one thing that they just have to do right now? For startups, in early stages, I would advise them, build, test. I mean, it's good reaching out to co-fathers. It's good building a network. But I cannot emphasize that. What I would emphasize is people should continue building what they're building and testing their hypothesis with actual customers. Funding is an accelerator. It can help speed up what you're doing, but building is what your core competency is. The speed of execution is, in the end, what will matter. The amount of money you raise is does not correlate with how successful your startup is going to be. Your solution and how it helps people make their lives better or solve a problem for them is at the end of the day, what matters. So, and this is a great time to, for founders who have, who are able to is just settle down in your home and build. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, I think that's a great wrap up advice. I think I'm a, I'm a big believer in hypothesis testing. So I totally agree with you on this one. And this uh, mutually agreeable note will wrap it up. Thanks again, Vivek, for coming up and for taking your time to participate on Fundraising Radio. I really appreciate it. And I think this this episode is really helpful for anyone who is working in deep tech, and even for those who are working in consumer-facing uh, uh, startups. So thanks a lot for your advice and for your uh, for sharing your knowledge in this field. Thank you. It was a fun chat.